Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson. Um, I just wanted to say welcome to a new offshoot of the podcast where my friend Liz will look at current stories from a legal perspective. one and all um, just in case you've forgotten who i am because i've not published a podcast now for about a month um, i'm peter watson and i'm here with a new branch of the podcast where i'm privileged to be joined by my friend liz who's highly experienced in risk management and has a legal background now in this monthly podcast liz and i will pick out some interesting topics from the month gone by and talk about them from a risk and legal perspective now, I'm really excited about this, as we have been talking about this for quite some time now, haven't we, Liz? Definitely. I'm really <laughs> excited to be here. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And by the way, we've had all sorts of problems trying to record this, so I'm so pleased that, that it's finally working. So anyway, um, so anyway, the whole thing is finally happening. Um, so any, for any Watson's Daily trivia ch- uh, fans out there, and I, I'm sure there may be four or even five people out there um you know this is the first ever podcast to be recorded in the new international hq of watson's daily which i moved into about a month ago um 2024 is going to be a memorable year for this podcast because um it will hit 1000 episodes um probably at some point in the summer uh, and I will, and I keep threatening to do this, and I am going to do this, will invite you all to a party when we hit that milestone. So um, I don't know exactly when it's going to be. I think on previous calculations it was going to be in um, June or something, but I'm not exactly sure now. So um, I'll, I'll keep everyone uh, up to date. Anyway, today we are going to talk about three topics. So uh, firstly, what's going on with the post office um, and you know what the implications are of the government's reaction. Secondly, we're going to talk about consolidation in the financial services sector. And then thirdly, we are going to talk about the drama that Elon Musk is facing in Sweden at the moment. So, lots going on. Lots going on. So, um, so just sort of kicking off with the first, um, you know, with, with the first topic about the post office, I thought we really needed to talk about this because clearly this is something that is very much um, at the forefront. Um, for those of you who haven't seen that ITV drama um, and don't really, you know, don't know um, the, the situation, um, and and I have to say that would have been very difficult for you to have missed this. Um, but uh, it is, um, it's all about um, the post office. They had a um, a system, an IT system called Horizon, um, that was um, that was made by Japanese um, IT company Fujitsu. Um, and uh, essentially it had lots of bugs in it and it meant that postmasters um, around the or sub postmasters around the country um, were uh, you know they 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 were accused of um, uh, misappropriating or stealing funds um, from the post office when in fact they had not been um, this has been subject to numerous documentaries and things over the years it's had um, coverage from time to time but basically um, it's taken an ITV drama to really um, ramp it up um, you know everyone's consciousness um, and now we have a situation which is quite interesting where um, the government has has decided to step eventually um, and they are going to um, exonerate um, a, a 
vast. In fact, I think all um, of the of the people that were accused um, in 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 all this, um, which is extremely unusual in itself. Um, but anyway, that is the that is the overall situation. Um, I think there are going to be a number of implications about this. Um, and um, anyway, but I'll, I'll, you know, so um, I'll, I'll shut up for a bit <laughs> uh, and I'll say, you know, Liz, what, what is your take on this? I totally agree. There are some issues around governance uh, that are highlighted here with the government as well. I think uh, there are a number of different lessons that could be learned from this. Mm. And I think that there, I mean, you've pointed out as well that there are some issues around how the government is trying to kind of clear up afterwards and mm. that there are some separation of power uh, issues around people trying to um, sort of step on the toes of, of the, the legal profession yeah. by instigating something that will essentially clear up from a moral perspective the the 900 plus individuals who have been kind of potentially wronged but within that there could be on a case-by-case -case basis something some individuals who may not may have actually committed something mm. um and from that perspective they would then be exonerated and they would not have been the proper trial and due process would not have been heard mm. and that plus the fact that as you say the the precedent um of uh, sort of blanket pardoning a number of individuals who, who uh, many of whom may have been wronged and who probably have been wronged, but where we haven't gone through those individual cases, uh, it, it, it kind of messes with the sort of natural delineations between law, um, the legal professions and the, the governmental structure. So like you say, separation of powers is, is very much at the focus. Mm. Um, in addition to overall government um, governance around things like the procurement processes for how one um, implements a new IT system. There are other areas where this has been problematic. You've got the NHS continuing to outsource mm. things. Mm. Um, and that, that, you know, there's a quality issue there, but also it, it introduces more bureaucracy, uh, civil servants um, needing to make sure that they're, they're making some judgment and not outsourcing that judgment. Mm. The accountability elements are huge, but it is something that it impacts everybody. It's not mm. just, you know, just you and I just talking about it on a very technical level. Mm. It is, it is, everybody can come into contact with this. Yeah. And these are, these are people who have done a lot of work for the post office. Um, and it, it's only like you say, it, it's really odd that it's been going on for such a long time. Mm. And yet it's taken a lot of focus on this um this itv did you say it was a it's not a documentary no, it's a drama it's like a drama yeah yeah because yeah. i mean i think the thing the interesting thing i think with the drama is that is that i i'm i i saw this um the other day in a you know in a newspaper or something so i think that the person that wrote it you know that wrote the drama normally does documentaries um but made a very interesting point that actually with a with a documentary it's like on the outside looking in um which is which is fine but maybe drama it seems that maybe drama um makes it more relatable because you're seeing it from the point of view of the people that are involved and that's what make it it's emotive i mean i you know i think that if, if any of you haven't seen it i think pretty much anyone that would see it you'd have to have a heart of stone um to not you know immediately start rooting for the um 
you know, the sub postmasters within the first sort of 15 minutes. I mean, the, the injustice is, is, is terrible. Um, but in terms, I mean, obviously that is the human element and there obviously there is a huge human element here, but obviously what we're trying to do here on this podcast is to talk about the sort of commercial aspects and the legal aspects and things of it. And I mean, I, so you, you definitely touched on, um, touched there on um, how, I mean, there's, there's been debate among, in legal circles about how, um, like you say, that, you know, the, this, the way that everyone has been pardoned at the same time is, is, I think is unprecedented and um, this is is a bit you know is encroaching the politicians are encroaching on the legal process but then again you then argue then well look it's been going on for 20 years um, you can't you don't want to prolong it anymore you know prolong the agony anymore so it it makes sense to do something drastic like this like a, a blanket exoneration um rather than just do it on an individual case-by-case basis for the sake of legal process because that clearly hasn't worked very well up till now having said that the you do wonder whether this is going to have you know uh, implications elsewhere i mean you uh, on the face of it this looks like a one-off you know for the post office because it's gone on for so long um because it is a, a, a massive injustice and it, now you know even fujitsu have actually said yes you know we will pay um some of the compensation um and they have acknowledged um their their role in this um but other than that, you, know, you do wonder, uh, does this mean that there, this will be used as, as to maybe um, use in other cases where there might be, say, some sort of public, like, just like you said, you know, the NHS, maybe they've used something and something there, you know, happens. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I mean, are there any other kind of implications, do you think, or what, you know, what do you think about that? No, I totally agree. And I think that obviously with it being politically motivated in terms of just ahead of the elections, I think that there's also the the risk that where any actions that are taken could be subject to, you you know, judicial review or, you know, where a new potentially Labour government coming in may look at what the Conservatives have done and decide actually we think that there is something else that we could do. So there could be kind of a policy decision that's being taken within the law here, yeah. where, where that could also be overturned with a change in political policy. Yeah, frankly. yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and and I mean, the thing is, though, I I mean, from my perspective, I don't feel that it's a a conservative thing particularly it seems to be a it seems to me to be a politician thing because i mean it has been going on for the last 20 years and you know for instance sir ed davey was i think he was the post office minister or something during the height of all this so this isn't gonna look good on him um you know when you consider that we are going to be going to an election um at the at some point during this year and you can just imagine this i mean as soon as i heard that he was involved with the post office i thought well this is an absolute gift to the the conservatives and labor who can use that as a stick to beat him with when it comes to you know going to the polls and saying do you really want you can just say i mean you know do you really want this man who covered this up or he didn't you know or who who might have covered this up or knew this i mean if he if he covered it up then that's bad if he didn't know about it then that's he that's 
almost as bad. So either way, he's going to lose. So um, yeah, it doesn't. It's not looking. It's not looking good. But anyway, the um, this is a, a big topic. It's going to continue. Um, we'll see more and more because you know there's that inquiry. The inquiry we've been hearing from Fujitsu, and it just. I just wonder how much we're going to, how much more we're going to see what the, what the um, numbers are going to be in the end. Um, and the other thing actually I did mention in Watson's daily was, um, you know, I, I'd be very interested to know whether this is getting any attention at all in Japan um, because on the Fujitsu side of things, um, because, you know, I, 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 my feeling is I bet there won't be that, much coverage but anyway i'm just speculating i i don't know but um but anyway but there you go um do you, do you have any more to add uh, on this subject at all no i think it'd be interesting to see how it plays out yeah. um and like you say if uh, if anything comes up on the on the japanese side i think uh it's a very much an honor culture right yeah. so if if the japanese do decide that this is a problem then Fujitsu are in even more hot water than they are internationally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I said I thought it could go either way. It could might be swept under the carpet as something that's outside Japan. Um, or, I mean, I know that sounds terrible, but these things, it does happen like this. Um, or it could, you know, Japanese public could really, you know, take this and, and run with it and, and say, hey, you know, do they do that over here? Have we do we have a problem um so so anyway anyway we'll see we'll see what happens there so let's go on to the next topic which is um probably very close to your heart and mine um in terms of the fact that we've both been in this this world but um the it's about the consolidation of, of financial services um and that's been really interesting i mean um so the background for this so financial services particularly in, we're going to talk today about um, brokerages. So, like, um, uh, as opposed to, I mean, there have there has actually been, um, you know, consolidation within financial services generally. But to, we're just going to talk a bit about the broker side of things. Um, so, um, the background to this is that the um, IPO market, in particular, in the UK, in particular, has been really really bad um there just haven't been a number of deals going on and it, and it means that um um that the uh, brokers that usually uh, play a very significant part in this process um have just not been able to earn money now i said in a call the other day um uh, you know on the what's yearly call i think um i said something about just to give you an idea because you'll probably see in the newspapers them talking about you know ipos being really important to investment banks and things so to give you an idea of scale um when i was um when i was a stockbroker um i used to get so the way i earned for the company was to talk to clients so all these big and so i should talk to big institutions like fidelity and legal and general and stuff and what would happen is is they you know, you first of all have to get on their broker list. So you have to get on their advisor list, which is hard enough in itself. And then once you're on there, they have to like what you say and like, um, you know, the, the stuff that the, the meetings that you give them, and the, the, you know, the service generally. Um, and then what they would do is they would buy 
you know, either do it on your recommendations um, or an internal thing or whatever, and you'd get the you get the for to buy I don't know a million um, British Telecom shares or something like that, and then I would earn commission. So the that would be worth a certain amount of money, and I would get something like so not me myself but me representing the company would get something like naught point naught naught two percent or so something like that it was really tiny and actually now it would be even smaller because that was quite high even back then um so that would be like point naught naught two percent or something of the deal um of the of the transaction value would be commission but um if it was it but an ipo you uh, the investment bank would get anything between say two percent or ten percent of of the the value of the deal as it as the advisory fee now that i say that because it it can vary wildly right because it depends on how hot the sector is how much competition there is to be the broker for that deal um and uh, you know uh, any number of things so it could be less it could be more but the point is it is many 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 times um what you would get uh as in terms of you know remuneration from say just purely um trading you know trading commissions and stuff like that so that's why it's so important so anyway um we saw last year we saw deutsche bank um buying numis um we are now seeing um you know uh, so it was what was it fincap and cavendish yeah, yeah and then um we are now we, we're now seeing more of that so yeah and, and Libra, um, though yep. you know they're coming together as well. Um, and the thing, usually, that is the thing is that that sort of consolidation is often seen as a because of the market is seen as a defense is defensive consolidation because there's different scenarios in which companies can get together. I mean, there's so many scenarios, but you know, like so, there's some where they where everything's going really well and the companies in question want to have bigger scale and so they get together maybe they've got complementary um client lists or expert areas of expertise or they might get together because they are areas of overlap and that means out of it by taking out you know sort of the duplication of everything and then there are times when um, there's consolidation from a defensive basis, i.e. all the companies concerned are thinking, oh, times are really hard. We're going to have real problems. You know, we don't, I don't think we're going to be able to continue on our, you know, independently. Let's go on. You know, you know, maybe we can consolidate with someone else. And that is what this feels like. I mean, I don't know how it's badged, but this is what this feels like, is this is a... This is a consolidation from a defensive point of view in that they both see, are seeking solace in each other to try to, you know, get some cost savings going. But also they also have bigger scale. They'll have a longer client list and all that kind of stuff. But um, what's what's your take on the on this, um, you know, um, consolidation in financial services? I, I totally agree. I, we've, you've talked a lot about brokers. Yep. There's also kind of asset managers like BlackRock yeah. and Global Infrastructure Partners have also come together for, I think, is it 12, 12 and a half billion? Yeah. Um, 
And I think although BlackRock announced a, 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 a cutting of staff at the end of 2023, I think that was clearly in anticipation of that mm. uh, collaboration. That makes that's a huge deal. Yes, that makes it is, them yeah. so influential. I mean, they're already massively influential. Mm. Basically, if you go into the US and go into any uh, supermarket, basically pretty much everything that's on the shelves there will have some kind of indirect ownership coming from BlackRock. Mm. And it's just it's just nuts to see. Like, mm. um, I think. Uh, I think also I think a number of houses are looking at uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, activity happening heavily in Q1 this year. Mm. Um, and that, that is, I think, a consolidation, not just of financial services, but other other types of company as well. Mm. But I think this has to do with a change. The reasons for this have to do with the change in how we finance generally. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of fragmented um, financing. I think the, the M&A market is still very focused around uh, you know the big U.S. players mm. um, and some smaller boutique um, advisors like uh, Perilla Weinberg, for example. But I think um, I think M&A is is expected to be huge in Q1 this year as people try to cut their costs mm. in very difficult financial um, environment. Mm. Uh, you, you also saw another trend on the IPO side where Arm instead of um, listing on the the London Stock Exchange, they listed instead yeah. on the New York Stock Exchange. That caused a huge snub, and and it also meant that um, the uh, FCA, the UK Financial Conduct Authority, um, uh, put out a consultation paper on the uh, primary markets effectiveness review. Mm. Um, just basically sort of try and streamline the UK regulations on allowing the uh, London Stock Exchange to make it more attractive mm. for companies to list on as an IPO on as a result of directly of that aim and other subsequent um, IPOs. I think uh, Soda, the ash maker, mm-hmm. um, also pulled their IPO. Mm. Um, you know, basically just due to extreme investor caution. Mm. The, the geo- geopolitical tensions, I don't know, we're not focusing specifically on that, but that kind of environment with, you know, several uh, major uh, military conflicts, whether direct or indirect mm. or otherwise, and the the, the changes to um, uh, sort of the interest rates and the mortgages sector as well, mm. that is that is something tangible that everybody can see happening. Mm. Um, and is is massively influential. And I think, therefore, going back to the fact that that we are seeing a massive consolidation in the financial services industry, Mm. that means that sort of the traditional way of financing is changing massively. Mm. Um, And I think that that has a a huge effect. And this is not the end of this. This is just the beginning. We're going to see a lot more consolidation. Mm. Um, You you also had uh, Lloyd's... um, there was a rumor about them taking over Tesco, mm. um, Coventry, and the co-op were considering mm. doing a merger. Mm. Um, you also had um, it, the, the sort of the waterfall effect with uh, Robert Walters, which is a very um, prominent high street uh, recruitment mm. uh, firm, cutting their jobs as well mm. because of the fact that they can't seem to generate enough business, um, particularly in this area, like bro- servicing brokers and, mm. and asset managers. Mm. Um, and, and like I say, I think this this overall this is an ongoing trend that won't stop now. And I think that uh, Q1 is going to be very interesting to see what other mergers and acquisitions mm. um, come about. Yeah, I mean, I think actually there was one other that I remembered um, was Rathbones and Investec uh, were also um, they were also getting together as well. Um, and just just the other thing actually I thought would be worth mentioning um, as well with regards to financial services um, is in case people aren't aware is usually 
the end of the year and of the new year is a very dangerous and nervy time for people at these places because again if you're not aware of this this is this does sound a bit harsh but what happens is um is that uh, going towards the end of the year all the managers start thinking of you know the senior managers start thinking about okay what is in the bonus pot um this this year they will then you know um look at the you know they'll they'll then come up with a number that that um you know that the of the bonus pool that everyone will have access to and then what they do is they try to cut uh, the number of people that will um take part in that bonus pool that often happens towards the end of the year so uh, and i always thought this was ironic because um, quite a lot of the time, I mean, and I'm just talking from an, um, an investment banking point of view here, quite a lot of the time, you know, trading trading sort of tails off a bit towards the end of the year. Um, and so, and then the 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 usual wheeze, as they say, of, uh, of the senior management is to use this quiet time. And they all say, well, commissions are down. Um, but then they don't really they don't really say anything about the rest of the year when everything's been well. They, they kind of say, you know, they try and take the current mood. They say, look, you know, things aren't great. They talk down. Ex- they tend to talk down expectations. Um, and then at the be- uh, either at the end of the year, they start cutting, um, cutting staff. And then and that then sort of flows often into January. Then once they have cleared out these sorry to use this language but one that once they've cleared cleared out um you know everyone then they start paying the bonuses in sort of february ish time and you know some of it is immediate you know is cash um uh, an increasing proportion of it these days is in stock and the idea is is that um the stock is to designed to keep you sorry well depends on you if you're looking at it from um a a a sort of um positive perspective you're saying that this will um incentivize the staff in the right way um you know by want making them want to do as much as they can for the company because then the share price will rise they will benefit if you're looking at it from a cynical point of view um it is it is a way of senior managers hanging on to um staff and not having to pay out loads of money uh, or as much money as they would have done say in the past where it was all in cash so um so anyway that's the sort of background and obviously i think that we've seen the consolidation over last year going into the end of the year and and right now and and so i think it seems to me this this is a big you know this sort of period of time sort of end of year beginning of the new one is pretty crucial and i would have thought there's a lot of pretty nervous people um wandering around um at, at, at the moment so yeah um okay yeah did, did you did you want to add anything to that uh no i think <laughs> let's go on to the next topic okay, fair <laughs> so much i could say on all of these yeah no fair <laughs> enough fair enough right okay so um last one is about electric vehicles um as uh, most people will be aware, we've got Tesla had some very well publicised problems at the end of the year, um, and they. Um, so Tesla essentially, and and um, 
Elon Musk specifically does not want unionization. Um, he's done. He's gone to great lengths to try to stop any unionization. Um, that stretched to. So I mean, I think last year he, for instance, he upped the salaries of. I think it was the German workers, I believe. Um, but then he has tried to um, rebuff any unionization um, in Sweden, and that was. Uh, not taken very well and um, actually it spread and it spread outside Sweden as well to the region and this is very difficult because it puts him in a tricky position um, and it's still ongoing so what would you what would your take be on that? Well the collective bargaining agreement that's very much a very a mainstay of employment law in Sweden, Denmark and Norway. I think maybe Finland is slightly different, although it obviously does focus on those. But those three countries do sort of sit together quite closely in respect of their employment law and rights. And definitely unions are a very big part of that. You have staff at companies in those jurisdictions where they are all covered by those those collective bargaining agreements. And they all kind of have, it's meant to promote fairness. It's meant to promote equality so that everybody has a strong pay take home, right? Mm. So when, um, when Sweden started striking, you have this sympathy strike coming from Denmark. So they were trying to kind of get uh, Tesla were trying to get the, the cars into Sweden and they couldn't because mm. Denmark also have started to sort of block um, the, the, the um, supply. Mm. And they've also kind of had a sympathy uh, strike. Norway have then kind of waded into this as well. And you kind of start to worry because Norway's a huge purchaser of uh, Tesla. I think it's mm. something like, um, I don't know, huge, huge um like 20% market share yeah. or something in Norway. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, th so the, this is causing them massive issues around supply and demand and being able to, to manage Tesla. Mm. Um, and, you know, the infrastructure in these countries is also sort of slightly different. I mean, I think, I think Sweden has probably more uh, Tesla um, infrastructure. I think Denmark is a bit further got a bit further to go in terms of that. Norway's obviously got a lot of infrastructure mm -hmm. as well. But even 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 that, it still means that there's a long distance and in the cold climate where batteries are probably not, mm -hmm. you know, they have to kind of operate at fairly extreme temperatures as well. Yeah. I think that's more for Sweden and Norway than it is for Denmark. Mm -hmm. But I think those all of those issues together are going to make a perfect storm of things very difficult for for Tesla um, going forward. Um, but the, those those the, the way that the, the I mean you have to, if you're going to operate in those countries you have to get comfortable with that collective agreement that's just how they operate so that they can mm. do these shifts um, and and make it fair for everybody hmm. yeah I, I I think so and and actually the the other thing of course is that the day so on a on a broader perspective um I mean, I think it'd be fair to say that Amazon and um, Starbucks are examples of other American, you know, big American multinationals um, that are really trying to um, to stop any unionization. Um, and I think that if the mighty Elon Musk caves in, um, then that's going to have implications, not just for tesla workers around the world but also for other 
major American multinationals because this could be used as some sort of precedent. Um, and, you know, then, then all sorts of things start happening. I mean, and the reason, I mean, one of the reasons why, one of the main reasons why these companies don't want unionization is because it essentially will cost them more because they then have to have things, you know, like I think, you know, union representatives and things, then they ha they might have to, um, you know, there's, there's a whole kind of, infrastructure may be the wrong word, but they have to, there's extra cost involved in liaising with unions and making sure that you're doing everything according to what the union, you know, what you've agreed with the union and all that sort of thing. And it's just more, essentially, they see it, the, you know, the companies themselves see it as hassle that they would rather do without. Um, but again, I mean, do you, uh, anything, anything else you want to say? Um, it, it also has a, an, an ongoing impact on other companies as well. Mm. I mean, you saw Hearts, uh, the um, the uh, rental company, they've offloaded yeah, yeah. a third of their fleet as well. So there's also a trend in respective e electrical vehicles mm. um, being uh, something that, that there's a bit of a cultural appreciation. Mm. I mean, but don't forget, in terms of striking and stuff, you've got France strikes, mm. right? The the um, uh, Gilets Jaunes, yeah, yeah. Um, which obviously is much more supported by kind of the right wing politically, which mm. is a bit a uh, uh, bit of a weird thing to get your head around. But mm. uh, and then Germany, obviously, are quite big into their unions as well. Yeah. With the, they have a similar thing to the collective bargaining agreement. Mm. Um, so you know, mainland Europe are trying desperately to keep you know, people's. Uh, it, it's about it's about um, it's almost like rent control. You're, you're mm. trying to keep everybody's salaries within a certain um, sort of framework, and, and like you say, you've got um, what they call them in uh, uh, Sweden and Denmark as shop stewards, mm. the, the kind of representative of the union who's employed by the company as well. Mm. And I know, I know what you're saying about the perception that it could be that uh, it seems like it's more expensive, but I think I think. Elon Musk is finding out that it's more expensive in the long run if mm. you don't get involved in these things. Yeah. So maybe you just have to absorb that cost in order to operate in those countries, mm. I think is kind of, and, and there is a big difference between the European Union, I think, and the way the US operates, mm. um, which is why it's interesting with the UK. And I think the UK, I mean, you had some major uh, uh, manufacturing, uh, automotive, particularly manufacturing uh locations in the north of England and I think you know there's been some recent news about that as well but not necessarily electrical vehicles focused specifically but the UK because the unions are not quite so um, dominant in terms of how they operate versus European the European Union mm. um, you're, you're seeing a different way that that's playing out I think mm. it's quite interesting oh yeah I mean I'd say I'll put it I'll put it more bluntly that <laughs> I would say that if you are a manufacturer I, I am surprised that he that Elon Musk did not, you know, want to have a gigafactory over here because I because let, okay let I, again say it bluntly Europe is is a nightmare for this you know in terms of um, employee rights and all that kind of thing it's much more strict on that and working conditions and all that so, and and actually the way that you can um, sack people. Um, it's very different, whereas here it's a lot easier. And I would have thought that the UK, A, is it would, is a pretty good market for EVs, I would have thought. Um, and if, if, if not now, it will be. And I would say the reason for that is because we're a small island and we're densely packed. So, you know, this, so for instance, I mean, I know this is going off on a bit of a tangent here, but 
for instance, I can see it is quite. Di- it might be difficult in America because everything's so spaced out. You know, to have a, a charging network there is logistically more difficult. Whereas I would argue in the UK is a good market potentially because we, like I say, we are densely populated. We're only a small island, so actually it's a bit more containable. Um, and if you add on to that the fact that our unions aren't as strong as, say, equivalent unions in in Europe, um, then you would have thought, why why aren't you know why hasn't he gone for a gigafactory? Because it'd be quite useful. You could, I, God, again, it sounds terrible, but you know, if you were Elon Musk, you could you could threaten the. Uh, this sounds terrible. Sorry, but you could you could say um, to to let's say Germany, the good German gigafactory, if if they all start kicking off. Um, Musk could, could potentially say, "Well, look, um, if you if if you've got that much of a problem, we're going to just up production in the UK. You know, how do you like them apples? Um, and and see how you know, and kind of almost set them set them against each other. But you know, that hasn't happened, and he's now you know in this very difficult situation. And the other thing as well, the, I mean, it, I thought it was quite interesting towards the end of the year. Apparently, there was an advert." a job advert posted i don't know where it was posted but for someone who is an expert on the region um to help with the negotiations <laughs> um so so yeah so i mean it's it's an interesting situation it could have big um ramifications i think for not just tesla but you know car manufacturing but manufacturing in general um and and unions and things so it's a, a you know it is an ongoing uh, it is an ongoing thing and i mean how long can he you know how long can he last really because when you consider that um electric vehicle sales i mean as a they've been doing well on a percentage basis in that you know you keep seeing that there's um you know a big increase in the percentage of you know the number of cars sold but when you still see it as a as a percentage of the number of vehicles sold in general so petrol and uh, uh, you know electric vehicles is still very small so um so yeah so anyway something that is going to be continuing for for quite some time to come okay so um i guess we might as well um finish on that note um I'm just really pleased we got this done. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, we'll be um, coming back again um, on a regular basis, hopefully, um, if I haven't put you off. Are we all right? <laughs> Absolutely. No worries. We're still friends. Um, you're still on my Christmas card uh, okay. list. No, yes. this has been fun. Brilliant. Good, good. So, yeah, so um, so that's official because you've now heard it on the podcast, right? So, um, so we're going to do this on, you know, on a regular basis. And, um, yeah, so um, just thought this would be uh, a fun, um, you know, different uh, departure for, for the podcast. There are actually going to be other, you know, variations on this podcast as well. So just thought I'd mix it up a bit. Um, and, um, and, yeah, but anyway, thank you very much indeed, Liz. Um, for your no for your worries. time today um, and um, thank you very much indeed for listeners for listening hope you haven't missed um, the podcast too much um, and uh, I'll be you know back again as normal very very soon anyway thank you very much indeed bye <laughs>